The Russian composer Igor Stravinsky once said, I always dislike listening to music without some form of active visual participation. Those words could just as easily have been spoken by his compatriot, Serge Prokofiev, who was, just like Stravinsky, ultimately a great man of the theatre. Prokofiev got approached by the Kirov Ballet in Leningrad in 1934 to write a ballet on the subject of Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. He duly composed it in Paris in 1935, and immediately after that, Prokofiev drew three suites from his ballet, and we're today looking at aspects of the second, the bits which relate directly to Shakespeare, if you like, because make no mistake, Prokofiev made a lot of inventions and diversions of his own along the way, the most obvious of which that he wanted to do, and didn't in the end, he wanted to change the ending and make it less tragic. He wanted to Romeo to come whizzing in and save Juliet in the nick of time. As he said, living people can dance, dead people can't. Well, there is a kind of insuperable logic to that, but at the end of the day, good reason prevailed and he was forced to keep Shakespeare's ending. In this programme, the BBC Philharmonic are conducted by Jason Lai. you heard there those amazing chord clusters which open the Romeo and Juliet second suite. The horns and the brass pitted against each other, but now the big tune, perhaps the most famous tune in the whole of the Romeo and Juliet ballet. strident, heavy, march-like music. I mean, of course, it's about the warring factions, the two families who are at war, right at the kind of crux of Romeo and Juliet. But to me, it's also about Soviet tanks. It's very powerful and very heavy. And so much of the kind of warlike nature of this music is created through these block chords, these very heavy stabs that you get in the horns and the low brass. Now we get the theme in the violins. It's high up, it's got less of the power it originally had, certainly in terms of weight, but make no mistake, the horns then come crashing in with a new idea, a kind of counter-subject to the theme. And in the next paragraph, that counter-subject goes right down to the very bottom of the orchestra. You can hear it in the trombones, the tuba, the piano, the cello, the double bass. 
Well, let's cut forward to a contrasting episode in this first movement of Romeo and Juliet now, where the flute has a theme which relates very directly to the, the main theme in terms of it being an octave leap achieved through an arpeggio, just like in the original theme. But it's much more sensual, it's much more reserved, it's marked piano, dolce, and the essence of its brilliance is how it relates to that original theme and yet how its music transformed. And listen particularly to about the fifth bar in, you get these incredible chords, very, very chromatic. The third time the flute has this tune, the first violins come in by way of a kind of decoration. It's sort of an extra counterpoint to this flute theme. A kind of chromatic, but also arpeggio-based figure they have. And very interesting to listen to how Prokofiev then varies it, not by changing the notes the second time you hear this first violin phrase, but by texture. Having been just straight quavers, it becomes semi-quavers. He chills the temperature. And a little bit later, you hear the celesta with the same material. So you can hear we're back on home territory. We've come back to the music of the opening. This is kind of a recapitulation, I suppose you could say. But now the chords are piano rather than a brazen forte. And bizarrely, you get the tenor saxophone coming in. A brief appearance in this movement, suggesting to me Weimar Cabaret, court vile, smoke-filled bars. He's playing the theme, the theme we all know now, but it's somehow transformed. Did you hear there the subtle and deft way that he passed the theme around the orchestra? It started in the tenor sax, it went to the clarinet, then it went to the first violins, and then the oboe and cor anglais joined in as well on the end of it. He's varying the texture, bypassing the theme around, but never for a minute losing the line. And variations in texture are central to the second movement of Romeo and Juliet, suite number two. This, this one's called Juliet as a Child. And you get this picture of Juliet as a girl of many sides or faces or aspects. Prokofiev shows us several. She can be skittish, but she can also be very, very mature. In one way, it's an essay in scales. Just listen to the first violin at the start. So you can hear all these major scales going on in the violin, some of them so-called perfect, just straight scales, others what you might call 
imperfect. In other words, that at various points along the way, he'll bend the pitch. And what I think he's suggesting here is this very skittish picture of Juliet, who I suspect was a thoroughly hyperactive child in Prokofiev's mind. What happens now is that the glockenspiel takes up this downward-turning scale. And again, he's sort of picking out the imperfect notes of the scale, as it were, the least wholesome notes. And he's playing it at quarter the speed. New material now, the clarinet becomes the personification of Juliet, if you like. This is new, sustained, more sweetly lyrical music. Juliet's softer side, perhaps. And just listen to how Prokofiev drags it willfully back in the fifth bar. You get a sense that Prokofiev's Juliet is strong and she knows her own mind. Up in the ante now, he goes up a semitone. There's a third aspect to Juliet that Prokofiev brings out here, and this is very much a melancholic one, perhaps a prefiguring of the tragedy to come. You get it very plaintively in the two flutes and then subsequently the clarinets. Listen to it from just before the flute comes in with this melancholic theme. And you'll notice that we've been in A major, very garish with a nice bright C sharp in the middle of the chord. The flute then comes in with the theme on a C natural. And you're not sure, are you in C major now or have you just gone to A minor? And the reality is it's a mixture of the two. And in the end of the movement, Prokofiev brings together all these different aspects of Juliet's character that we've heard. The oboe takes over that melancholic material the flute had, the saxophone and the bassoon have elements of what the clarinet once had, and the harp takes over that skittish material we heard right at the start. The harp first, and then finally the saxophone. The pulse slackens and slows and slows and slows to an almost implausibly languorous speed as we reach this final stark, naked B major chord. Juliet is, after all, still only a child.
So if Juliet is a very complex character, as we've seen, then Friar Lawrence is almost monochromatic. He's like a cameo role. He just gets this one tune, which is an interesting new sonority. You get solo bassoon together with pizzicato, viola, cello and bass. And a lot of the time, particularly cellos, are quite high in register. So you get this almost comical sense. It's warm, but funny. A touch of Friar Tuck, perhaps? You'll have heard the tuba in there as well, adding further comic value to the theme. Also what the clarinets were doing, just playing off the beat, adding a certain extra frisson, you know, good humour value. So that's the A section, we then get into a B section. I mean, this whole number is a bit like a song, you get A, then B, then A. And in the B section, you get the cellos playing, again, quite high in their register, picking out the notes of a chord, like so much of the music in Prokofiev's Romeo and Juliet. Let's jump forward now to the fifth movement of the second suite, Romeo and Juliet. This number's called Romeo with Juliet before parting. And it is a pure Prokofiev essay into how to develop a tune. You hear the tune first in the flute, in its pure form, being the love of Romeo for Juliet, I suppose. And the accompaniment is interesting. It's a bit like a clock ticking. It's like these are their last moments together.
So the piece follows on like a series of variations or elaborations on the tune, and a, a highly decorated and elaborated version of it comes here in the clarinet. Sola Viola is the next person to have a chance to elaborate on this theme. And it's interesting how complex it's become by now. And you get all these passing blue notes. So when the viola's on the way up, you get F sharps. When he's on the way down, you get F naturals. Passing blue notes, little moments of dissonance. It's very jazzy. And the clarinet and the double bass join in, a very unholy alliance. And at the climax of this movement, Prokofiev has genuinely distilled down the thematic content of the melody and it's truly reinvented, spaced out, majestic, sort of pure film music. It's unmistakably Russian sounding, isn't it? These great block chords, primary colours, the broad sweep, the intensely heavy and detailed orchestration. You could say it's almost like very fat piano music for the orchestra. Then we get another episode which brings us back to that clock ticking music from the very start, a sense that time is absolutely running out for Romeo and Juliet. You get this bald little motive in the first flute and first bassoon, which relates back to elements of the apotheosis theme we've just heard in the horns.
And did you hear there in the basses in the tuba a kind of distorted memory of that first Montagues and Capulets theme? But now they don't even make it quite up the octave. There's a sense of it being pinched, not quite perfect. The desolation for Romeo and Juliet at parting. As any great 20th century composer who has the heart of a romantic like Prokofiev did, what do they do when the emotions are extreme? Romeo and Juliet bidding farewell. Well, of course, he becomes tortuously chromatic, cramped, constricted intervals and harmony, that clock-ticking theme sort of fizzling, fizzling out, the sheer desperation of it. The final image we have is of Romeo at Juliet's grave. Prokofiev marks this music adagio funebre, so very slow and in a funereal style. But it's interesting, there's certainly no hint of dirge at the top of this. Funebre would suggest, perhaps, low music, cortege music. But this is hot and high, a memory of that first Montagues and Capulets theme. You hear in the third bar this falling figure in the violins, which is a sob. I sense the slow pulse of a saraband here. I imagine that's how it would be danced. And when the full orchestra come in, Prokofiev transforms that sobbing theme into something which is a full funereal lament.
Final word about the very end of this last movement. Listen particularly to the accompaniment the second violins have. It's a kind of heart flutter sound, triplets with dotted rhythms, which then get taken over, slowed down and much simplified in the tuba and finally in the bass clarinet and double basses. And gradually it just peters out, literally Romeo's heartbeat dying. Listen also to the extraordinary voicing of the final chord. You've got great extremes of high and low, again very pianistic. It's almost as if Prokofiev's got his right hand right at the top of the instrument, his left hand right at the bottom. There's nothing really in the middle. <laughs> 